on this episode of China Unscripted. The party congress begins. A dangerous protest against Xi Jinping. And Elon Musk is an idiot. Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganeshta. So, so are you guys are you guys excited for the twentieth Party Congress? Yeah, the one that starts yesterday. Yes, we are recording this on Friday before it, uh, it it is happening. But hey, it's two weeks of nonstop interparty action in a black box, or yeah. should we say a red box? Ooh. But we don't know. We don't know what's happening. Uh, exactly. I mean, we don't know because it's Friday. I, I don't know. I There's know, just... but this is coming out Monday, so you're watching this on Monday. This is something in the air. We probably like the still leaves don't know are what's changing colors. The the smog fills the sky. No, no, no. There's no smog for the party congress, Matt. Probably not. Yeah, because... fortunately, zero COVID has gotten rid of China's economy. So, well, I mean, also they, you know, their traditional thing is to like shut down factories and make sure that nothing. Will they do this twice a year? Once for the party congress in the fall, right, and once for the uh, the two meetings in the spring. Right, and and what's good is that so far this past week in Beijing, absolutely nothing has gone wrong. We'll get to that in a second, but uh, uh, first, I think we want to, you know, ahead of the party congress, Xi Jinping is really kind of pushing the just just very subtle propaganda. It's like you might not even notice it's propaganda unless you really are paying attention. But did you know that Xi Jinping, he understands the ethnics? Is, is that the cue to roll the, the propaganda? Roll the propaganda. The elderly, the young, the underprivileged, ethnic groups. In order to care for them, we first need to understand them. There is a man who understands and cares for the people. No matter how much time it takes or how far distant, he will be there with those in need. From rural areas in central China to an earthquake-stricken region, from the cold days of winter to the sunny spring, nothing deters him from coming together with people. And understanding their needs, he learned sign language so that he could communicate with handicapped teens. Sitting on a worn-out mattress, he chatted with an 80-year-old man about how to fight poverty. At the border, he stood together with soldiers on duty. In an ethnic home, he shared happiness and life stories with local folks. Along the way, he has made up his mind on what needs to be done. From helping tens of millions out of poverty to addressing the challenges posed by nature, to making one landmark accomplishment after another. He cares for China's 1.4 billion people. And their future. He understands and trusts the people. He is, in turn, understood and trusted. That's why Xi Jinping spends so much time among them. 
江山就是人民，人民就是江山。Yes, gosh, if only people could somehow understand ethnics. Fortunately, Xi Jinping has successfully studied them and spent time among them and understands them. It's it's so weirdly tone deaf. I just like it. Just it just gives me this weird feeling inside. That's patriotism, man. <laughs> <laughs> Or gas. Ah,、uh, yeah. What's I mean? You gotta love at the end when the music starts to swell, and it's like, yes, he understands and trusts the people. One man. I did、yeah. think it was interesting the part where it's like he has lifted tens of millions of people out of poverty, and so that that's kind of a weird propaganda line because you know the party has claimed for a while now that it's lifted so many people out of poverty. Is like each successive leader going to like take credit for being the one to lift people out of poverty? Well, no, this is brilliant. See, so the the Communist Party lifted, you know, Deng Xiaoping lifted a lot of people out of poverty, right? Because Mao put them in poverty, but ignore that part. And then, you know, Jiang Zemin was able to lift his group out of poverty, and and Hu Jintao, forget about Hu Jintao, Xi Jinping. And so, what's going to happen? The idea is that you got to keep some people in poverty always. So that each successive leader can lift more and more of them out of、ah, poverty. But Xi Jinping has already declared that they've won the war on poverty. Yeah, but all they did was change the definition of poverty. Oh, that's not the only thing. But yeah, it's now what? What's the term they use? It's like a, a low. It's low income. So Xi Jinping's goal to create a moderately prosperous society. Yes. <laughs> so、uh, such ambition. Hey, considering zero COVID. It's like moderately prosperous is like is, really is, reaching now. <laughs> I mean, but there's the whole COVID economy. That's true. That's how much did they, did they say? Like a、uh, hundred million people taking a test every couple of days would not, be nine hundred million、uh, people or something taking doses three times a week. You mean tests? Tests. I mean, yeah. So that would cost a hundred billion dollars. Yeah, I think that's what it. Right, and it, so each year. Yeah. And so that money is, of course, you know, money spent by the Chinese government from, you know, that comes in, in lieu of other things they'd be spending it on, and that money is going to, you know, the the COVID testing companies and all the, the different like ways that 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 whole process gets played out. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the people who are enforcing the zero COVID policy are actually migrant worker workers. We've talked about this before. Ah,、uh, they're the ethnics. You don't have to be an ethnic to be a migrant worker. That's true because you can be you can be like a migrant in your own country, which we don't really have that concept so much in the U.S. Like if, like me, I was born in California and now I live in New York, but I'm not really a migrant in any meaningful way because. Like I still have equal access to everything in New York as a resident that I did in California. From Xi Jinping's perspective, you would be an ethnic.、Uh, that might be、it. true, with my blonde hair and blue eyes. Yeah, but my point is that like you can be because of the hukou system in China, you can be from say Gansu Province, and you move to Shanghai to get a job. Is anyone from the Gansu Province? I I've, I've never、so. met anyone from Gansu. Me neither. <laughs> uh, but the point is, then, like you don't have access to all the public services. Your kids 
can't go to the public schools. Yeah, that's an urban-rural thing, too. Like, if you have a rural huko, you cannot move to a city and, like, get health care or public education or anything. The there. rural huko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Tricky thing to say. Yeah. The, you know, people talk about the rural-urban divide in the United States, but that's, like, only a, a sort of political thing. But in China, it's like, actually, you you can't just become urban. You you can't just do that without... Even if you sag your pants a bit? Uh, no, Chris. Well, this is an interesting thing because there was a big, uh, well, you know, Mao sent people to the countryside, but then there was like a big push under Xi Jinping to like get people into the cities. Right. And now that's not working because, you know, you can't state plan these kind of things. And so now they're there's they're again trying to get people back to the countryside back and they only want certain people in the cities right I, I think part of the problem with people living in the countryside is that the economy is is different so like if you for example live on the land and you and your neighbors are getting some portion of your food or sustenance or uh you know work through trade relationships it's not really contributing to gdp and that's really problematic. And it's even more so with, you know, for example, some of the ethnics, uh, as Xi Jinping would call them, uh, like people who live in the Tibetan plateau who are traditionally herders. You know, they've been brought into the cities to work in factories because that contributes to GDP and that lifts people out of poverty. Yeah, they basically are like, all right, you cannot do... Um, you know, you cannot have your nomadic herding lifestyle. We'll put you in these apartment blocks. Right. And it's it's like this idea that everything has to be for the betterment of the country, although it's actually the party. But there's just so there's so little respect for individual rights. There's basically like it's just not even a factor that you could have any individuality. Did we watch the same video about Xi Jinping? Because I got an entirely different take from it. What was your take, Chris? I mean, he understands the people and he's helping them. He's among them. I mean, this is mild compared to the Chinese language propaganda that's going on, I have to say. That's a good point that this is obviously, it's weird, like this is geared towards a Western audience that's in English, but. I mean, I don't know if it's geared toward a Western audience well, or if they the just have to produce some propaganda in English, but yeah, it is, this is just like, so we watched a two minute video that's this kind of stuff. There is currently, or in the two weeks leading up to the party congress, there is a 16-episode series being broadcast on CCTV called The Navigator. Uh, it was like a primetime television documentary about um, Xi Jinping and the Communist Party and how great everything has been over the last 10 years of CCP rule. And if you thought this two minute thing was like unwatchable heavy and heavy handed, you have no, yeah, it is just like, I cannot describe to you the, like the emotionality of the narrator. You've heard that type of like Chinese narration before, right? Where it's just like, it's just like so overly emotional. Like a soap opera? Kind of, yeah. It is very, but like in a very like, laudatory way like oh he's the he's the leader of the country and only one man could like this is yeah. sounding like 
erotic propaganda. Okay, well, I'm probably not doing it that well. But, you know, it is just that type of, like, overly effusive stuff. And, you know, 16 episodes of this. And also I noticed some nice subtle propaganda. I only watched part of one of the episodes because... Um, there's you know. so much you can take. Yeah, there's a part of it where it talks about in this chaotic world, and then it shows like the EU protests, <laughs> and then it shows like protests in the U.S. and it's like, and then it was like, oh, you know, only the leadership of the party is bringing stability to China. It was that kind of idea, yeah. right? And then Cute footage of of Uyghurs being blindfolded and loaded onto trains. No, no, it's the happy dancing Uyghurs, Matt. Oh, sorry, the Oops, ones working clip. in factories that are producing stuff for the GDP. Uh, and also, the the whole thing starts with like a little girl's voice singing "I love you, China." <laughs> and, and it's just like these sweeping images of China and then a spacewalk and then like a giant hammer and sickle on like a waving red background. It It, it is it's a lot. Yeah, well, you know, the sad thing is like to, to get ready for the party Congress, you shouldn't be watching just 16 episodes of this show. You should watch a real soap opera, our general hostility playlist which you can see on China Uncensored, get a full rundown of all the party internal conflicts, and you can celebrate by wearing your very own General Hostility t-shirt, which you can buy now for a limited time only at chinauncensored.tv slash merchandise. So that's, that's beautifully what you're going capitalist yes. of you, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now that's that's the show to watch before to get ready for the party congress. Not uh, the the navigator. Not the navigator. You can watch that if you like. It sounds moving, <laughs> <laughs> like moving to another room. Uh, yeah, I mean it's interesting though because in that episode we we published an episode about is Xi Jinping the next Mao Zedong? And you made the point, Chris, that some of this propaganda is not necessarily like a sign of strength, right? Yeah, I think people, a lot of people mistake, mistakenly think that Xi Jinping is close to Mao levels of power. Like that, that means he has unchallenged total power, which even Mao Zedong didn't have that kind of power. Mao got into his position because he purged a lot of people, had a struggle to get it. Uh, after the Great Leap Forward, uh, which was a disaster. He kind of fell out of power and the Cultural Revolution was him sort of uh, using it as a way to get back into power. So the idea that like any party leader, any communist leader can sit comfortably in power is just inaccurate because there's always someone coming, coming yeah. for you. And it's interesting how um, there was some uh, analysis from uh, Sino Insider, which is like a China risk consultancy that was talking about how the propaganda is actually Xi Jinping's way of like boosting himself. Because there are very real uh, issues facing China that even other party members are aware of. He hasn't uh, achieved a lot of the things he set out to achieve. But I mean, yeah, people see that zero COVID is actively hurting the Chinese economy and yeah. lots of people aren't happy about it. And I think that's the members. main thing. I think that's the main thing right now is zero COVID. But even a lot of the things that they're like, oh, he was successful with this and that uh, is not necessarily like he hasn't done everything he, he set out to do. So the, all the propaganda is kind of papering over a lot of that. Right. Um, but even I noticed in that in this like two minute English language propaganda video that we watched, 
it's very much equating Xi Jinping with the people, right? It's like, oh, she understands the people. The people understand she. She the people. So, uh, not that bad. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, I guess we should also mention that me telling you one of your puns is not bad is actually it's very high praise. <laughs> thank you, Shelley. Um, Leave a comment below. Was that a good pun? Let us know. <laughs> uh, are we going to have the audience start to rate Matt's puns? Yeah, why not? Uh, the people shall decide. The yeah. people's puns. But but like Mao, if if I don't like your the rating that you give me, watch out. <laughs> You're going to get hurt. Oh, I thought that was going to lead into another pun. Uh, no. Mm. No, it was just a threat. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, this, I mean, this is how to make our podcast really lovable. Like you threaten your viewers. Uh, my work. You had a point, Shelley. I'm pretty sure you had a point. Yeah, what happened? I got derailed by Xi the people. Okay, so, but it was Xi Jinping and the people. So it's by equating them this way in the propaganda, I think it is actually a way of saying to his rivals that they better watch out because, you know, if they go against Xi Jinping, they're going against the people. And the people love Xi, so they would rise up. Yeah, well, I, mean, I don't... That's essentially the cultural revolution, right? It's that Mao got, because Mao was was power struggling with his with other political uh, people, that by getting the people, that is like the the common man on the street, to wave a little red book and hold a portrait of Mao and have that happen okay. on a mass scale. Right. Mass violence. Right. Right. So it's people on the ground supporting Mao and you get a big enough movement for that. And then it allowed Mao to maintain power. Yeah. Right. So if Xi Jinping was looking at that model of the cultural revolution, he'd see, oh, well, this works. And there's absolutely no long term downside to that. Well, I don't think it is the cultural revolution anymore is the thing. Like, I don't think no. that this that could happen again. Oh, I totally agree. It would play out in a very different way. But just the idea of of seeing that you can you can use the people and their love of Xi Jinping to or and like, their alleged love of Xi Jinping. The, yeah, the, the, that's that's the big thing. Like, is there really that kind of love for Xi Jinping? Well, that's a big question. And you know, you you hinted at this earlier, man. Well, before we go to that, I think mm -hmm. one of the things is about this propaganda is that. Xi Jinping and the people, like, and then there's also the relationship between the party and the people, right? Like, uh, a lot of the type of uh, propaganda talks about, you know, the people's red heritage or the red genes or G-E-N-E-S, genes, not item of clothing genes. But, like, the idea that, you know, almost that the Communist Party is a fundamental part of China's DNA. Which really is just a... Red herring. Okay. I was going to say, come on, party people. Leave your comments below. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not on that one. <laughs> I had a point. Uh, yeah, my point was that the, like, they're, it's the overinflated thing again where they're trying so hard to say she is you know, with the people because they're, they're they're afraid that people don't like you. Like they're saying the party, is, you know, the red jeans, the party is part of China's DNA because the thing that the Chinese Communist Party is most afraid of, I would say, is that Chinese people were, would be like, wait, actually, we don't need the Chinese Communist Party. 
Like mm-hmm. we could do this without them. Well, like we could have a country without the CCP. Name one country that operates successfully without the CCP running it. Well, that's the thing, right? That they're afraid of that. So they need to really kind of brainwash people into thinking that like, this is the way it is. Well, like and also like we saw that, you know, there's the protests in the EU and the US, like you said, like the only, it's only the communist party that's keeping China stable and protecting them from COVID. Yeah, so that's exactly it, I think, that they need to instill that idea into people because they're really afraid that people aren't feeling that way. Yeah. Do you think maybe at the end of the day, Xi Jinping is just, you know, very lonely and afraid? I'm not really going anywhere with this, but I mean... I I think so, too. I mean, it it is probably lonely at the top because he could never really trust anyone. Didn't Stalin, like, never sleep in the same place? I don't know this. <laughs> yeah, like he was very paranoid of being assassinated. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, maybe Not all the that people he, he got. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem with power struggles. That's true. Why can't we have a country built on love? Is that a rhetorical question or? I guess basically. <laughs> well, no, because it's very obvious why we, why we can't have that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But so, yes, there is some signs that they're, you know, people really might not actually love Xi Jinping as much as they say, or as much as she might say. And and for context for this this next story, like ahead of the party Congress, especially in Beijing, security is super tight. Like the last party Congress, they banned knives. You can't buy, you can like buy a kitchen knives. Knife. Yeah, because, you know, you might attack someone or, you know, I remember one year, I think it was in the, the 2012 one, they, they banned ping pong balls because people might like write a message on them and throw it out of the taxi windows. And then, you know, you're just walking around feeling love for the party. And then you see a little ping pong ball and it completely subverts you. There was also, uh, I think in the 2017 party Congress, they didn't let people open their windows. Yeah, there was, I think there was something with birds too. Like they didn't want, like they were afraid people would write messages and like attach them to birds. I might be making that up actually. When you say it, it kind of sounds familiar, but I also don't remember the story. That was, that was five years ago. That's a long time ago. That's right. Yeah, I kind of feel like I remember something about pigeons, but also very Oh, I think they were like giving them like, anal tests in case to see if somebody put like a bomb in the pigeon. Okay, this is starting to sound more familiar now. Yeah. The problem is like the, the things they do are so crazy. Like I'm I'm second guessing myself. Like this uh, like, this sounds stupid. This anal anal bombs and pigeons. <laughs> Surely that can't be right. Should I look this up? Uh yeah, Keep talking, sure. Yeah, Harris. go ahead and, and and put that in your browser history. <laughs> Man, this if if I'm it wrong on this one. the weirdest thing in my browser what a, history. What a, what a wrong thing. Uh, well, I won't share that story. You, you but, know, I was thinking that if Xi Jinping really wants to be more lovable, I know what he could do. Mm-hmm. He could have people compare him to one of the most lovable cartoon characters of all time, Winnie the Pooh. That's a great idea. I mean, who doesn't love Winnie the Pooh? I mean, really, like Winnie the Pooh doesn't have enemies. So if if only Xi Jinping could Didn't just Eeyore hate him. No, Eeyore was just depressed. Oh. Eeyore needed some Prozac. Yeah. 
That's true. But like, but but like, yeah, I, I think that if, if Xi Jinping were to just embrace Winnie the Pooh, you know, he'd be a lot more relatable. People would would actually feel closer to him. Uh, and he's really missed this golden opportunity, a literally golden. <laughs> okay. Okay. I found it. A tweet from People's Daily China from uh, 2014, from September 2014. Uh, so this is actually not for the party congress. It was for ahead of National Day, which is October 1st. So 10,000 pigeons go through anal security check for suspicious objects Tuesday, ready to be released on National Day on Wednesday. I didn't make it up. It's that <laughs> stupid. It's it's like a white pigeon. So they were, we'll put the tweet up. So they, they were like, I guess, doing like a release of like white pigeons, you know. <laughs> you, you, you can't make it up. Like in my mind, I was like, no, wait, this, as I'm saying it, well, they, they they were doing anal tests to see if they had like a bomb or something like. <laughs> well, so no, it wasn't stupid. quite what you thought it was at first, which was you thought people were tying messages to pigeons. Which would, like, I mean, that, that would make even more no, sense. I, I, I just imagine some conspiracy theorists be like, yeah. you know, they're they're doing anal checks on the pigeons. <laughs> it's like, but actually, it's true though. Or or even worse, like the idea of like, hey, I know how we can we can finally overthrow the Chinese Communist Party. We're gonna we we'll get these pigeons and we'll put little bombs in their butts. Let's do that. Versus what actually happened in uh, China in Beijing this week. So that so the point is like we were all leading leading up to this point that the security is very very tight ahead of a party congress or something like National Day. Uh huh. They put they anal test. Who got that job? I wonder. Somebody who like Probably lost a power struggle. Migrant workers. One of the ethnics. I mean, it was just preparing them for what would happen six years later or seven years later when they had to do COVID testing on people. Oh, when they started doing the anal, anal swabs. Oh, yeah. Does the party have an anal fixation? I really I, don't want to know. I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm getting just so disturbed by this. So let's let's move on to uh, something. Security glorious, is tight. Something glorious that tight. happened this past week. Okay. Go ahead, Shelly. Go ahead, Matt. People protested. Oh, well. A person <laughs> allegedly protested. I think he was probably, you know, CIA plant. But somebody unfurled two banners in Beijing, which again, we've established security is tight. And uh, we'll put it up on screen with the translations because there's no way I remember what it said exactly Shall, off the top of Shall my head. Shall you want to read out the translation of what the banner says? Uh, yeah. So one banner said... Uh, I mean, you could translate this in a bunch of different ways, uh, but essentially, no to COVID tests, yes to food, no to lockdowns, yes to freedom, no to lies, yes to dignity, no to cultural revolution, yes to reform, no to leaders, yes to votes, don't be a slave, be a citizen. And then there was a second banner that said, students strike, workers strike, remove the traitor and dictator Xi Jinping. You know, I appreciate that um, I was going to rely on just like an image, but then this is a podcast, so it makes sense to actually say things <laughs> instead of relying on visuals. Yeah. Well, um, we'll put the visual up for the people who are watching this one on YouTube. Yeah. So. I, I think one of the, the interesting things in terms of how the party reacted with censorship is it's just so over the top. The, 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 the people who do anal checks of pigeons, they went over the top? There's a, there's a lot of things being done to excess uh, under Communist Party rule, but 
the censorship, like after after these banners were unfurled, and they were, you know, the police took them down almost immediately, but there's photos of them. So right? yeah, it spread on social media quick. Right. And so Shelly, what are some of the things that got censored? Oh, I mean, uh, any discussion of like people who are getting their WeChat accounts suspended for sharing any photos or videos of the event, uh, then words like uh, warrior, words like, uh, you know, courageous person, uh, words like, the, I think the most ridiculous one is the words, I saw it being censored. So literally, I saw it, like it. So, you know, if you're having like a WeChat conversation with, hey, did you see the latest Spider-Man movie? I saw it. Right. <laughs> and, and then like there's a song, was it called the like, Satong Bridge or something? Yeah, the overpass where the guy hung up these banners is called the Satong Bridge. And so there was a song called the Satong Bridge and that song got taken off of all of these music platforms. That was just an existing song that had come yeah. out years ago. And then even dumber than that, another song that was just called Beijing's bridge, which is not a reference to this particular bridge, just Beijing's bridge also got taken off of music platforms. Well, I think what the party really needs to do is like, what if somebody took photos of this event or even recordings of those songs and put them up pigeons' butts <laughs> okay, and then release them into the city? Well, somebody might hear that or see that. They might grab a pigeon and open it up and take a look at the photo there. Well, the thing that, okay, uh, if you've ever been around pigeons, you know that whatever's up their butts comes out pretty fast. So I don't think people would have to go looking. Fair point. And yet the party went had, looking. Had, went looking. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. But uh, the interesting thing about this protest, too, is, again, it was one person. In some of the videos and photos, you can see what looks like a guy in a construction worker outfit, like an orange jumpsuit or something, putting up the banners. And then there's so a video- So they should also ba ban any reference to the village people. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then there's also video of him that looks like it's the police taking him into custody, like putting him in a police car. So this was, as far as we know, just one guy. And in any other country, where you you can protest like this would have been just like some maybe kind of crazy guy putting up banners in you know protest banners in the middle of this bridge overpass but because it's china and it's beijing and there's no protest allowed this became like international news yeah i mean just just the other day i saw somebody driving a truck with a giant deer he made out of wood with the words Buck Fiden. Mm -hmm. And like, <laughs> this is what happens in America. Wait, well, this was on the deer? Uh, the, well, there was, the, there was the cutout of the deer, a giant sticking out of his, his truck, and then the, and the sign below that. Okay. But, I mean, like our, our civilization has not collapsed in America because of this, this one warrior. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, if that truck tried to said something like, you know, Buck Xi Jinping. I, or, or I saw it. <laughs> yeah, like uh, that it would be complete, like, uh, yeah, that, the, 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 yeah. It, it's just like in Hong Kong, they basically stopped people from walking around holding up blank pieces of paper. Yes. Right, and just like, like the, the, the level of paranoia 
that's expressed by the Chinese leadership is just so, it's just hard for me to understand. But obviously it means they're very, very strong and confident in their rule. Well, I mean, again, in that propaganda video about Xi Jinping, or was it the Navigator, where you see the protests in the EU? Oh, that was the Navigator, yeah. That was the Navigator. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the, the protests are a sign of chaos. You don't... Buck fighting is a sign of chaos. My gosh, when people saw that, the cars were swerving everywhere. People ignored traffic signals. It was I madness. Mean, I suppose the, the doing the deer thing was, I guess, a little clever. Like, I don't know. I uh, Just for the record, I do not necessarily endorse any uh, deer-related protest messages that I see. Uh, uh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm just, just still distracted by that, idea, by that idea. I hope you took a photo. I'm driving a car. I'm oh, not okay, taking yeah. a photo. Too bad. Yeah. Well, or, okay. Or like, you know, those little, like you'll see at gas stations a lot now, like a sticker of Joe Biden saying, I did that point to the gas. Like that, that kind of a thing. Imagine that happened in China. That would actually seem to be a little more effective of a protest than like unfurling two very conspicuous ban banners. But that's a good question. Like how, like what kind of protest movements can really get going in China? considering the party will check the buttholes of pigeons. Like, can you do, could could people do a sticker campaign? You know, just you could slap a little sticker. I mean, now there's so much surveillance that I feel like you would definitely get caught very quickly. That's a good point. Uh, but I was thinking of, it, it really depends on how, in terms of protest in China, it depends what you're protesting and how disruptive that is in relation to the CCP. Like when... Because well, mass movements happen all the time in China. Like mass what, protests, like What if yeah. we want to spontaneously protest the Japanese? That, well, that will be tolerated up until a point when it actually becomes disruptive, like Shelley was saying. Yeah, or I was thinking about like Evergrande, right? And the was it Evergrande that the protests were against where they were having... And there's the parking lots. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were like in the... Or like the actual employees were protesting uh, because they had to buy Evergrande products and then they couldn't get their money back. Mm -hmm. uh, or the Henan Bank protests. They tolerated those for a few days. And then it was getting too big and they were starting to go to the government offices instead of just to the banks. And then that's when they started being like, oh, your health code is mysteriously red. You can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it, I think it depends on the, the level of protest. But something like this in Beijing that actually names Xi Jinping and says to like remove the traitor Xi Jinping, that is not okay. <laughs> that's, that's an escalation. But yeah, I get this question a lot. Like, you know, why don't the Chinese people rise up? Why don't they do something? Why don't they protest? And I mean, it's, it is difficult in that system to do it. Like when, when, as you mentioned, like when the surveillance is so intense that like even sticking a, a little sticker on a gas pump would probably get you caught. Yeah. I, I saw a news video. Uh, I think it was from BBC. This is a, like a, a year or so before the pandemic where the reporter was basically like somehow got access to inside one of the Chinese uh, police surveillance bureaus. And it basically showed how uh, his movements like all across the city 
were tracked by like a whole suite of surveillance cameras. So basically, like in other words, that the police, and this is several years ago, could track an individual's movements anywhere across an entire city. And as they leave the zone of one camera, they enter the zone of another camera and the system is able to just follow that individual through facial recognition. And so the level of surveillance that's been developed in the last two decades is just insane. Because just 20 years ago, surveillance was like, you know, a building might have surveillance, a camera that would link to, you know, uh, VHS or, or Betamax tapes in their office, right? And they'd record their surveillance, but there wasn't any way to nationalize that or to to hack, to, to, to access that from a central location because it was all analog. And this digital revolution in part helped by, you know, uh, technology from companies like Oracle and, and so on are able to like, like transform this into China, into this, this AI powered individual person tracking system. So there's just, there's just no leeway anymore to do it. And it's so easy for the police to nip anything in the bud. Well, I mean, they didn't nip this guy. Well, they nipped him pretty quick. Afterwards, it, yeah. I mean, there was, but there were a lot of videos and photos of this. So, right. and, you know. and we also don't know how many other things like this have been stopped before they were begun. Well, I well, see, I don't think that, like, I think that I, I kind of vaguely remember that one you're talking about where they track the guy's movements around. And I think that there's, there is a weird, duality though when it comes to China's security system where it's both very, like very good and also sometimes the Huawei cameras just don't work properly. Because like sometimes the Huawei cameras just don't work properly. Well, or they've overinflated their abilities. Um, yeah. Or also just to, to, to be like a contract. panopticon where everyone knows that they could be under surveillance at any given time. They just don't know if they are at that particular moment. Yeah. So I think that is that is the point that the Communist Party cares about. It doesn't necessarily need to be able to stop every guy from being able to like unfurl a banner you know immediately or before they do it they just want people to watch themselves and not uh you know right. not be be scared of of crossing the line like when this guy unfurled these banners and then they took them down pretty quickly by the time western news organizations got to that place it was maybe an hour or two later and like there's no sign of this protest and then they start trying to ask people like if they saw it and people aren't willing to admit it hmm. like most people were just like wouldn't, wouldn't talk to them pretended they didn't know what they were talking about you know so that is the part of what you were calling the the panopticon matt i think that's that's especially useful to the ccp even if one you know courageous uh like lone warrior or whatever and that lone warrior also got censored oh. what about yeah. wolf warrior no that's not that i know because what if people started using wolf warrior to refer to that guy that's that's my suggestion for all you people in mainland china illegally watching this by using surfshark vpn uh start using wolf warrior right and then and then they have to censor they, their own propaganda is right. that what you mean exactly <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that's they like that one guy can be dealt with, right? right? Uh, but they don't want other people getting ideas from that and joining him or being like, "Hey, I can protest now too," or something like that. Right. So they want everybody else to be scared. Yeah, I mean, like for every for every one person 
who's got so little to lose that he's willing to do that. There's 99 more people who under other circumstances would protest or join someone else's protest well, that are just like, it's not worth it. Well, yeah, like we just saw that movie Eternal Spring. And one of the things that that movie talks about is how, you know, in this, in, in Changchun, this one Falun Gong practitioner got the idea to like put messages about Falun Gong on balloons and release them in the city. And like, that was very effective. Like people saw those, the police had a hard time taking them down because, you know, they're balloons. Well, I mean, that was 20 years ago though. Mm -hmm. So like the, the surveillance was different then. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, but most people wouldn't do that. And it, it, it does take a lot of courage to do something like that, even with less surveillance. But yeah, most people weren't willing to do it. And, and most people, you know, who practiced Falun Gong or, or supported Falun Gong weren't interested in doing anything publicly because the, the risk was too great. I think you get into this place where, I mean, if you've lived in a communist society, or I think this could probably apply to a lot of other authoritarian societies, like people will, people understand kind of where the lines are, right? And that they shouldn't cross. And, um, and then there's, but like people, there's a lot of low level civil disobedience I would say I don't think you would even call it civil disobedience. Disobedience is exactly, but um, let's say with zero COVID, you know, everybody is supposed to scan their health code app every time they go into a shop or something like that. People don't want to do it, uh, and they think it's stupid, and they don't want to get caught if there's some kind of you know uh, quarantine that happens. Uh, and they got they get contact traced or something, and they happen to be in IKEA at the same time as somebody else whose health code turned red, and now they all have to go to a quarantine camp. Like people are afraid of that, uh, and they hate having to scan it, so they'll try to get around it. But like this is not like a big people aren't going to be like I refused to do the health code app. Um, they'll do sneaky things like take a photo of their health code app and like pretend to scan the barcode, like they'll pretend to scan it. Uh, and then the maybe there's a security card there and it the guy knows you're not actually scanning it, but he also doesn't care and doesn't want to do it. He's so he tired. just lets you go. Yeah. And so there's a lot of this low level uh, kind of like disobeying the rules, breaking the rules, trying to get around the rules uh, that comes with that level of heavy handed bureaucracy. So I think um, there's always that tension between people trying to not conform with the things they don't really mm -hmm. want to do and then the you know authoritarian government trying to make it harder for them to get around the yeah. things well, i mean the whole reason we have this concept of like winnie the pooh is banned in china is because people were using that as kind of a subversive way to criticize the government by just having a photo of uh obama and she and a picture of Tigger and Winnie the Pooh. I mean, at first, I think that was just kind of a joke because Obama, of, like, Obama they looks tall look and like thin, it, yeah. and like Xi Jinping was like rotund, and so together they looked at the photo. But then, yeah, it became kind of a, a subversive way to refer to Xi Jinping. Yeah, or the whole lexicon of like online terms, uh, like river crab, which uh, I mean that's an old one, but like it sounded like what harmony. Yeah, because they would talk about harmonizing the in the internet. Yeah. Uh, or like there's, yeah, there's a lot of this kind of, uh, doublespeak. So that's where some of the stuff with, as soon as something like the, 
the protests that happened in Beijing happens. Everybody starts sharing these videos and photos. Everybody starts getting censored. Then people start trying to come up with different things like calling, saying something about a lone warrior or mm -hmm. just saying like, I saw this. And then, yeah. then that gets censored and then people try to find another way around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so it's like when people do ask me, like, oh, how come people in China don't protest? And it's like, it's not that they don't. They do. They just have these these ways to deal with the realities of a regime that will, you know, anal probe pigeons. Uh, yeah. I mean, somebody on Twitter was saying that a friend of theirs cried when seeing the video of the guy putting up the banners because she just like knew what was going to happen to the guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, that person is not in a happy place right now. Yeah. I mean, it, who knows how that happened, but it, he's going to be in some kind of prison for her. What if it was just Jiang Zemin wearing a hard hat? <laughs> <laughs> I would be impressed that he's still so mobile at 96 because every time I've seen him come out on like a national day or something. Uh, it's like being propped up. Yeah, like like three people are holding him up, essentially. Yeah. He's been blessed with a long life. Great. He's been cursed with a long life. Yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. But... So I think this is actually a good transition to our next story. Like, you know, we were talking about some of the really uh, heavy-handed surveillance and monitoring that happens in China. And a big reason the Communist Party has that is because it was essentially, the technology was essentially given to them, been built up by Western companies. And, you know, this is a horrible thing that, the, you know, a lot of what the Communist Party can do is because of the West. But, you know, recently the, the, there was the CHIPS Act, has passed and signed a lot by Biden. This is this is basically, actually has been a pretty effective way of uh, damaging Chinese semiconductor companies and whatnot that re rely heavily on getting U.S. semiconductor makers, et cetera, all this kind of sensitive technology. It is a big part of you know what China needs to develop technologies like surveillance, like missiles. This is this has actually been a pretty effective. I mean, it is a big Legislation. deal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's a two-pronged thing that happened. One was the CHIPS Act that happened a couple months ago. But n like last week, the Biden administration released new rules for U.S. companies uh, and related to China Chinese chip making companies. So this is kind of an extension of what the Trump administration did with Huawei. Correct? In a way, like the Trump administration up. did something like this to Huawei. And now the Biden administration is doing this to like almost all Chinese like chip manufacturing firms. It is a very broad rule and it is uh, it goes a little bit further than the Trump one did in that it also restricts U.S. citizens from working mm. on or helping these Chinese semiconductor companies. So uh, the tr what Trump, the, what the Trump administration did to Huawei essentially is they restricted any company who used US technology to manufacture chips from selling those chips to Huawei. And so that even roped in uh, non-American companies, like any company in the world that is, you know, Using U.S. technology, they 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 were then essentially cut off. Right. Yeah, and U.S. Huawei. technology is used for, I mean, almost 
like well, incredibly it's, high it's percentage. Yeah. So one thing that, because we had uh, Chris Miller on, the author of Chip War, that was a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And one of the things that, that I didn't know uh, before reading his book was that like, even though, you know, semiconductors, these, these computer chips are made all over the world and a relatively small number in the US, but a lot of them are, all, are made in, you know, South Korea, uh, Japan, especially high-end ones in Taiwan and also China. But no matter where they're made, the software that allows the machines to actually, I guess, print the chips um, or the software that's, that's necessary, that software is American software. And so all these companies, whether it's TSMC in, in Taiwan or you know a company in China or, or South Korea, they're still using some American technology in the supply chain for those chips. And so essentially, because the US is in the supply chain at some point in the manufacture of basically all microchips, then that gives the US government incredible control uh, if they're willing to, to, to use that power, which it seems like, like Congress has decided they are. I mean, this is actually the Biden administration. This is an executive branch action. Okay, yeah. so the Biden administration. Yeah. So there, the Biden administration clearly realizes the um, the power that they have by being even just one point in that supply chain. So it is essentially, and also because, you know, you're basically now no longer allowed to sell like U.S. equipment or software to these companies, but right, also, right. even if they already have the equipment or the software. Like if you if Americans can't work on with these Chinese companies, then like let's say you need somebody to troubleshoot your software, like the company that sold you the software can't do it anymore. Right, and you won't get updates, so so you'll be stuck making only the the chips that you could have made with outdated software. So within a few years, it's just going to be not that useful anymore compared to what other countries are able to produce. Yeah, so it it's going to set. China's semiconductor industry back a long way. Now, uh, now, isn't there a little bit of a loophole though, where these companies they just need to get a license to continue to sell to China? Companies on the entity list do need to get a license. Uh -huh. And but, then the the problem is that the Commerce Department is known to essentially approve yeah, all I, that these. happened under the Trump administration. So yeah, yeah, this isn't we'll, Biden. It's alone. So we'll have to. Well, see. No matter what the buck fight and guy might say <laughs> i'll try to shout that to him when i see him next time <laughs> what that that, that policy excuse me sir what do you think of uh, uh -oh. the, the biden's administration's uh recent semiconductor moves against the chinese communist party i'm sure the buck fighting guy will have a very like well reasoned out answer to that as we're both shouting yeah back as yeah we're driving yeah um but the uh, yeah so but there's almost no point in the Biden administration doing something that's heavy-handed if they don't mean to actually enforce the rule. Uh, and the Commerce Department is part of the executive branch, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the, theoretically, there would be the ability to hopefully rein that kind of behavior in. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to see how it's actually implemented. Mm -hmm. But if it is actually implemented the way that it is written, it will seriously hurt China's semiconductor industry. I mean, it's already had an impact. Like the stocks are tumbling. Uh, it's, it's got them panicking. Yeah, and we haven't really seen a reaction from the CCP yet, probably because 
this happened like right before the party Congress was just going to start. So they didn't have the capacity to deal with any of this. But I'm sure there's going to be some kind of retaliatory action mm -hmm. because this is like, like this is big and damaging to them. Yeah. And so that is really great to see, like, you know, again, the U.S. government is like, you know, finally taking some concrete steps to counter the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some arguments that this might be a risk in a certain way because um, it, you know, now that you've taken, you've struck such a blow to uh, China's semiconductor industry, they might be less inclined to do something like wait longer to take over Taiwan because like some people have, the analysis of some people was that they would wait until they were able to manufacture their own semiconductors. But isn't it better if the PLA tries to take Taiwan before the PLA is ready to do that? That's a good argument. Yeah. Well, maybe. It, well, in terms of would it be better than not taking Taiwan? No. Is it better than them taking it later when they're definitely going to succeed? Then yeah. Right. Like China, China is actively building up their navy and their, their rocket force and, and everything to prepare for this invasion. And, you know, the U.S. and Taiwan are like really not necessarily prepared. And it's also unclear how much more prepared the U.S. and Taiwan are going to get. But we know the trajectory, it's very clear, of the PLA. So, you know, you've got the PLA like absolutely on the getting ready to take over trajectory. And the U.S. and Taiwan are kind of like on the maybe preparation side, right? So it is better, I think, to, 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 to be able to deal with it early. Well, I mean, it would be better for to kind of put them in the position where they won't do it. Oh, that's far better. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe, you know, if uh, striking this blow and then doing some of the other things with Taiwan, which we should have been doing years ago, which, you know, joint military exercises and, you know, getting a, a, a naval base in Taiwan and that sort of thing. And uh, that would be, you know, to do that now, while the PLA is really still not ready to 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 take action against it, is a is a better way to prevent the the attempt in the first place. I think that uh, you know, with the the chip thing, also, it's the calculation that the U.S. might have like maximum leverage right now, yeah. because if the U.S. Uh, has like so much influence over the technology being used at this moment for them to restrict that now makes a lot more sense than waiting right. until maybe China's already started to grow some of their own homegrown right. tech or other countries have taken over more right. of the market. It, that's that's going to be the fallout from this, which is that the CCP will realize that they have to home grow their entire microchip supply chain. And that's going to take a long time and they'll have to steal more technology and it's going to be hard to do. Uh, but they will make a big push for that as they've been making a big push to have homegrown, you know, ABCD, like all different things. Well, right. And, and like when, when the U.S. put sanctions on Russia, you saw like, you know, China and Russia trying to, banks trying to use like an alternate system to move money around. And so, that just means that these authoritarian regimes, especially China, are going to 
eventually develop their own system. I mean, the CCP already started trying to grow their own semiconductor industry a couple of years ago. Like in the latest five-year economic plan, Xi Jinping directly addresses the need to grow the Chinese semiconductor industry and lessen the reliance on foreign companies while also still keeping other countries reliant on China economically. Like it is explicitly in there. So they already saw like that this was going to be a problem and they needed to be able to um, do their own kind of like high tech manufacturing like semiconductors. So that ship already sailed. Uh, So the U.S. is kind of blocking them now from really being able to get further ahead with um, U.S. technology. Yeah, because I think Chris Miller made a good point that this is not, semiconductors is not something you can just throw money at and get functioning semiconductors. Like there's a lot of know-how at all stages of the plan, not just like the, the, the factories themselves, but all the individual components that make semiconductors. So by stopping, by, by doing this now, that really throws a huge roadblock in the Communist Party's goals. Someone it's not had, like, just like in a couple of years, like with they focus, they'll they'll put a lot of money into it, they'll be equal to the United States or other countries. Somebody actually said that this is basically forcing China to reinvent the wheel mm. at every stage of the of their semiconductor development. So yeah, I guess we'll see. The there was a article a few years ago about after China had announced that they were going to make the semiconductor push, and these uh, local and, and provincial governments had thrown a lot of money at different companies that said they could do this. Uh, there was an analysis that showed that a lot of that money was completely wasted because it went toward companies who like just didn't have the technological capabilities. Like they overpromised a lot of stuff and wasn't weren't able to deliver. So like a lot of them went bankrupt or failed in other ways. So they threw a lot of money at it and got very little back. And and this is the thing, like, you know, the Chinese Communist Party has used cheap Chinese knockoffs as a way to uh, compete in a lot of areas. But there are some things that you just can't really knock off easily. And like the, the these these really high-tech things are, are a, a place where the U.S. does have a lot of power, which, you know, the you know the Trump administration now the Biden administration has is effectively using, but I mean th- it is this does ultimately tie back to uh, Taiwan, which you know makes makes most of the world's like you know really advanced semiconductors, um, and like if the Chinese Communist Party tries to invade Taiwan, I mean that's just going to completely blow up the supply chain of these critical resources. So, I mean, there's just, there's got to be some way to resolve that conflict. You, you know who we should ask? Because you know how billionaires are better than us and they're really smart? Of course. I mean, they have so much money, it must mean they have bigger brains. So is there any billionaire that maybe we could ask for for his uh, ideas on how to solve the China-Taiwan issue? Hey, what about that Elon Musk guy? He's sort of a freewheeling, free speech uh kind of guy surely he has no hidden dark side Shelly why are you laughing I bet Elon Musk has a great idea of how to resolve the China Taiwan issue let's not put billionaires in charge of foreign policy please 
Well, so so Elon Musk did actually have a great recommendation, which he told the Financial Times uh, about a week ago. He said, my recommendation would be to figure out a special administrative zone for Taiwan that is reasonably palatable, probably won't make everybody happy. And it's possible, and I think probably, in fact, that they could have an arrangement that's more lenient than Hong Kong. Like, come on, like, like you're saying, hey, free independent country, I got a great idea. How about you become a special administrative region of an authoritarian regime? I'm sure they will definitely respect your autonomy. They have a great track record. Yeah, one country, two systems. I mean, when has that ever failed? <laughs> I like also that he specifically says that he thinks they could get a better arrangement than Hong Kong. Well, I, I think that in a way he's right that the Communist Party would certainly promise a better arrangement than Hong Kong. Than Hong Kong's original arrangement or Hong Kong's current arrangement? Well, than Hong Kong's current arrangement. Well, yes, of course, they would promise something better than that because Hong Kong's current arrangement would basically be like, well, we're going to come in, take over everything and silence everybody and, and terrorize the people. And because Hong Kong was never even a British colony. It was only controlled. Remember the Chinese official who said like they would need to do a lot of re-education in Taiwan when they take over? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I, don't, I don't think this is, I think Elon Musk might actually be an idiot. Well, it, it just comes back to how sometimes really smart people can also be really stupid because, you know, Elon Musk has been very successful in a lot of things. And, you know, when you are that successful, it blinds you to your own shortcomings. And like he, he is, he has been brilliant when it comes to uh, electric vehicles and marketing electric vehicles. And, and marketing flamethrowers. And, and, and perfume. And, and, what? He's selling perfume now. You don't know about this? I don't. Yeah. Smell like Elon Musk? Oh my god. Is it, it called Musk a, Musks? No. Well, he he made a joke about with a name like his, he should have gotten into the perfume industry, you know, years ago. What was he fighting? And I don't remember what the perfume's called, but it's something weird. Musk. No, it's not called Musk. But the the point is that like, okay. So you know, in 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 burnt uh, hair. Burnt hair. That's the worst smell. But like, like, okay, so, so he so sold millions of dollars e worth. Elon Musk is a is a brilliant marketer. He has many other skills too, but like, he's a brilliant marketer, right? Because think about how he's been able to be involved in U.S. politics to get essentially the U.S. convince the U.S. government to massively subsidize cars for the wealthy, right? Yes, it, that's true. It, like that's the whole business model of Tesla. And, and and even though there's an obvious disconnect as soon as you think about it, he's really good at that stuff. And he he thinks that he understands how politics works. And to a degree he does in the US, but what he doesn't understand is that the Chinese Communist Party is not a normal government. It can't be reasoned with. They will break promises that they make to you even if they pinky swear, even a pinky swear. I mean, he also had a stupid idea for Ukraine and Russia, so. Right. You know, it's it... so he's just he just doesn't he's not good at that. And I think my point is because he's so brilliant in many ways and because he's been so successful in so many ways, he really can't see his massive blind spots when it comes to dealing with these authoritarian regimes. Well, especially like he is, you know, deeply in bed with the Chinese Communist Party, with Tesla in China, like the, those cars which are being 
subsidized by the U.S. government, rely on Chinese companies making the electric batteries that those cars need. Right. With getting the cobalt from all those nice little African children in the Congo and the mines. Well, I think someday the CCP is going to nationalize Tesla. Yeah. And then we'll see how Elon Musk feels. And, but China. like, I really am not comfortable with this guy, like potentially owning, a, you know, one of the biggest social media companies. I'm not really comfortable with him making like, you know, the space vehicles for the U.S. military. Like I mean, a guy who's very, very Who else is going to be it? Jeff Bezos? Is that better? That's not better. It's not better. Michael Bloomberg? Not better. You know, the problem is these rich elites. <laughs> if only the workers would rise up. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, I if mean, only we had a, a supreme leader of these United States who had a, you know, a, a real a real grasp on how to do things right. I can do. Yeah, I would know what to do. Just give me absolute power. Trust me, you're going to love it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have the trust of the people. The people. And so the people, you, you also trust the people. That's why you have the trust of the people, right? And I understand them. And yes. they understand me. Yeah. But I think the problem with Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Michael Bloomberg is the same that, you know, happens. Not You don't have to be a billionaire to be an idiot about the Chinese Communist Party. Like a lot of, um, sadly, the U.S. foreign policy establishment, like for years, right, decades, was like, okay, we can make nice with the CCP. Mm, and there's still elements of that. There's oh. still elements in the Commerce Department. There's definitely. And yeah. I think there's this idea that, like, the whole um, end of history thing, right? Where like we can all work together for a uh, rules-based international order. Like now that the Cold War is over, there's no bad guys anymore. Straight road to Star Trek Federation. Well, but yeah. what, but there's there's now this sort of bigger global goal that a lot of people have, which is fighting climate change. And while that's a noble idea, uh, the problem is that it it makes people believe that uh, because we as Americans believe we're all in this together and all nations need to work together to fight climate change, that therefore the the governments of every other nation also share that view that this is important because without stopping climate change, you know, we're all going to be flooded or or you know the uh, farming is going to be disrupted, et cetera, et cetera. So this is important to a lot of Americans. It's not important to the Chinese Communist Party, which just, they, they may not even, even though they say they care about climate change, they, they actually may not care at all. And even if they do care, it's so far down on their agenda. Climate change is not something that the CCB talks about in their internal propaganda to the Chinese people. No, like, but they not... talk about it. Xi Jinping will talk about it at Davos or, or you know, in meeting with other leaders because they understand it's a leverage point. No, yeah. What I'm saying is I don't they they don't care. You're right. Right. And and so you know, Americans and, and a lot of people in the US government mistakenly believe that we because we need to work with every country on climate change to make an impact that therefore- Especially the country that's responsible for most of the pollution and environmental destruction in the world. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's most. But I don't they, think it's actually most. They, well, 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 here's, here's, here's the most part. Fishing destruction, the, 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 the Chinese, Yeah, the Chinese- That somehow doesn't Ch claim it. Chinese fishing 
is well, by that far the worst. That doesn't count as climate change. So environmental destruction yeah. is what I said. Well, but the like the China has built more coal powered uh, power plants than the rest of the world combined in the last few years. That's true. Uh, that's not a country that policy wise is is moving in a in a carbon neutral direction. So. But my point is that that just because we feel that every country needs to work together, like that shouldn't blind us to the reality that that's never going to happen, no matter how much wishful thinking we have. And there are ways to deal with uh, pollution uh, and climate change without uh, relying on China. Uh, but you know. Th this idea that like we just have to work with China and therefore we have to have policies that give us this this way to involve China like it's it's just going to end up hurting us so much and it's actually going to be worse for the climate than trying to just take matters into our own hands with the US and other western countries if right? Americans work together we can finally destroy the climate ourselves well that's that's a beautiful sentiment but but my 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 point is that like if we want to be serious about fighting climate change, uh, we can't rely on China, which is building coal-fired power plants. We should, for example, move more manufacturing back to the U.S., where we have a regulatory environment uh, that is uh, requiring cleaner energy. And if you have manufacturing in a country like the U.S. or in Europe, where uh, you have less pollution per kilowatt, then uh, you are actually uh, reducing carbon emissions. You are uh, improving the environment with also without relying on China. Well, I don't think the problem is just that we rely on China to do things. I think it's also that, well, look at what happened with the Paris Climate Agreement, right? Where the agreement is essentially that like developed countries like the U.S. will restrict uh, their carbon emissions, but uh, countries like China will not because they get another decade amazing or something. amazing they were able to get China to agree to that deal. Well, I mean, I think if they didn't say that, they wouldn't have agreed to the deal, right? Yeah. So it's not just about like relying on China to do things, but it's making concessions. Right. It, things that hurt American industry. It's, it's basically like if all three of us agreed that we're going to go on a diet and lose weight, uh, but like my agreement with you guys is that I will also go on this diet, but mine's going to start in the year 2060. And meanwhile, Chris and I are responsible for losing all the weight of three people. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, as Supreme Leader, this is one of my policies. I understand that the climate is a myth. <laughs> there, there's no climate. There's no climate. <laughs> so I won't fall for those tricks. Uh, very good. Too smart. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, it's not just climate change, though, to your point, Matt, like that, that whole thing that you just use climate change as an example of it's what happens with anything where we're like, we need the Chinese Communist Party to get on board with with stopping fentanyl coming into the US with stopping human trafficking. Like, yeah, maybe we we can just we can maybe work with them together on this sort of thing. It's in their interest, Shelley. It's in their interest. I don't think the U.S. government really understands what's in China's interests or what's in the Communist Party's interests, rather.
No, they, they don't. But the CHIPS Act is definitely a very strong step in the right direction, in my view. I hate to keep saying this, but it's not the CHIPS Act. What is it? Well, the CHIPS Act is a good thing, but that was the thing that a couple was, months ago. Yeah, this was Congress. a new executive order. The CHIPS Act was uh, legislation. Yeah. That, yeah. The, that's, that's why I was getting them mixed up, because you had said CHIPS Act, and I was like, the legislation, Congress. I know, and, and then I had to be like, it's not the CHIPS Act. <laughs> it's a new executive but, order. But Shelly, when you corrected me, I wasn't listening. I wasn't correcting you. I corrected Chris, but you weren't listening to that. And then I had to do it again, which made me feel bad. But yeah. yeah this, is, this is what happens when I don't listen to you. Everything's fine. <laughs> no skin off your back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, the reason I think that it's easier to think of it as the CHIPS Act is because the actual name for these rules are really long and boring. So yeah, there's not like chips. a good, there's not a good way to say like the new Biden administration's new semiconductor chip rules against China. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, moving forward, we're definitely going to be keeping a close eye on the black box that is the party Congress. And it'll be very interesting to see what will or won't change based on Xi Jinping getting a third term in power. Uh, which I, which seems very likely at this point that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can pretty much predict what the CCP is going to do because it's what they say they're going to do. Uh, well, just, you know, I mean, like, you know, because we talk about how she, even if he gets his third term in power, he is not, like, completely secure in his position. There's still lots of uh, political infighting. There's uh, transparent problems that lots of people have, like the zero COVID stuff. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that this is not the end of general hostility. Thankfully, no, because I love that show, and I mean, since I'm such a fan of it, I would love to have a T-shirt about general hostilities. But wait, there is a T-shirt that you can get at ChinaUncensored.tv/slash/merchandise. Help support our work by putting on clothes. You're doing so well. I think that's a good slogan. Help support our work by putting on clothes. Yeah, versus, you know. Nobody else has that slogan, Shelley. As, as Mark Twain said, oh, I forget exactly what he said. It was a clever line about how, like, naked people, you should dress well because naked people rarely are listened to or something like that. It was, yeah. he was very clever. I am less clever. Now I desperately want to look that up and see if it's real. Uh, well, I definitely saw on the internet a picture of Mark Twain. With that quote with on. With that quote. Okay. And if you need more proof than that, you're probably one of these climate people who thinks climate is real. I think, <laughs> I think we should make a t-shirt with Mark Twain's picture on it that says, I love general hostility. <laughs> wow, you said that? Yeah. <laughs> wow, cool. You should buy... The general hostility T-shirt. I should buy our own merch. <laughs> that's that's like taking a resource and diminishing it. I mean, it's not a finite. T-shirts are not a finite resource. They're an, well, you're, they're an infinite the general resource. hostility one is because it's only available for a limited time only. Yeah. So get yours today, and don't be naked because Mark Twain hates naked people. <laughs> Thanks for watching China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell.
I'm Shelly Chong. And I'm Matt Ganesta. We'll see you next time.